Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to a very special episode of the Labelled Podcast. I am Lucy, and this is my co-host, Alice. Hi. Hi. We're very excited about this episode, aren't we, Alice? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I was dreading it right up until <laughs> about, like, sort of... 14 hours ago when I actually put my notes together and went oh this will be all right actually yeah yeah Yeah. um this is a very special fabled episode of the labeled podcast because it is our Christmas episode the second annual labeled podcast Christmas episode you lucky lucky people hooray hooray we're not feeling very festive I did consider putting a Christmas jumper on this morning and then I was like nah Fine. I have uh, I have got a festive coffee by which I mean there's booze in it. Nice, um, <laughs> nice. But, uh, it is quarter to uh, twelve. <laughs> it's Sunday. It is drinking Sunday, rules that's... don't count on a Sunday. Everybody starts drinking at like Sunday, <laughs> like just before Sunday lunchtime. This is fine. This is fine. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. We're all right. It's fine. <laughs> Um, I did say to my mum, I'm looking forward to finishing work for Christmas and just sitting under my new duvet that I've got in the sitting room covered in crumbs because I'm going to spend <laughs> eating all day. So, yeah. Uh, yes, this is our Christmas episode of the Labelled Podcast and we're doing a fabled episode on, drumroll please, Christmas Carol. Uh, because, obviously, the mascot of the disabled Christmas is Tiny Tim. However, we never ever want to be too highbrow on the label the podcast. <laughs> so we are going down the route of a Christmas Carol slash a Muppets Christmas Carol. I have to admit, I have not done as much research into this episode as Alice has because I was tasked with watching the Muppets Christmas Carol. Um Alice, however, has done yeah, I've, the I've heavy done... lifting. I'm doing uh, a a general Dickens overview, or sort of. That's what that was my intention, and then I realised Dickens has written a lot. Like <laughs> it was, it was very. I was like, I can do that, and then it was like, what have I undertaken? What have I agreed to? Yeah. Um, so you've got He's a, quite a prolific, bit of... isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you've got a little bit of. Uh, I've I've mentioned a couple of a couple of different things that are more than just uh, a Christmas carol but yeah it's uh it's good I'm I'm looking forward to it um whereas I will mistake the case for why I think Michael Caine is the best Scrooge you'll ever find (laughs) full stop I will be taking no further questions but I will be giving (laughs) you proof and evidence as to why he is Um, that's the key takeaway of our festive episode apparently Michael Caine, great Scrooge. Okay. Okay. Um, 
so uh shall i shall i dive right in yes i think we should add some christmas music before you start Adam. just whack a bit of like jingle bells or something in. yeah yeah just yeah just just get some jingly i have i have heard my about a week ago heard the first um a coca-cola advert i've not seen on... it yet i was upstairs yeah I haven't seen it. It was on a. It was in an advert between on a podcast that I was listening to, like in between. Uh, um, and I was a bit like, "Is that the the seventeenth of November? What are you doing?" But um, it's 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 here. The holidays are coming. Yes, he's, he's just come <laughs> off the motorway, and it's coming towards <laughs> us with speed. Yes, bearing down upon us. Yes. Uh, okay. okay, so I'm going to start off by telling you a little bit about uh, our, our new friend, Charlie. Charlie? Um, Charlie. Oh, Charles, Charles Dickens. Charles, yeah. <laughs> Charles Dickens was born, uh, was born in February 1812, and the, he lived in relative wealth and comfort for the first sort of 10 years of his life. Um to so much to the extent that his parents were able to send him to um, be like privately educated. Um, they lived in Kent. Um, although his family were quite respectable and appeared to have uh, like a good social standing, um, in 1822, the family relocated to London um, after his father had built up a significant amount of debt while they were living in Kent. Um, his father, John, who had been a clerk in the, um, naval pay office, he'd been the, the, the phrase that I read was living above his means, uh-huh. which I think makes it sound like he was like borrowing money to make their like, make it look like they were more fancy and as though yeah. they had like more money than they really Keeping could. up with the Joneses almost. Yeah. 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 Um, so in terms of the debt, things came to a bit of a head in 1824 and um, the uh, John and um, Charles's mum, Elizabeth, and his siblings went, um, John, his dad, John, was sent to a debtor's prison mm-hmm. and his mum and younger siblings like went there to live with him, which apparently was like a thing. If your husband went to prison, you went you to could, live with him. You could move in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Charles, who was like 11 or 12 at the time, he went to stay with a family friend right. and uh, was sent to work in a boot blacking factory to help pay off his dad's debt. Okay. At 11, which is a bit like, I mean, that's that's full on like Victorian, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, that's like your <laughs> typical when you think of Victorian times and small children. Yeah. That's like... Yeah, it's- Children doing manual labour. Yeah, yeah. It's either that or getting stuck in a uh, like a weaving sewing machine type thing, and you know, on the on your hands and knees on the floor, isn't it? Really shiny, chi- yeah. shiny shoes, or in a cotton factory, basically. I tell you've told you that that's when um, when Dave is taking the piss out of my accent, he'll just go shiny shoes, Gavna. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did not yeah. know that. <laughs> my my husband likes to. He's very supportive and caring, my husband. Yeah, yeah. Definitely doesn't take the piss out of me at least <laughs> six times a day. Everybody gets it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, 
I'm now going to give you like a little mini history lesson, but don't tell Daisy. Yeah, she's um, not here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to tell you about the Victorian workhouse. Okay. Uh, so debtors' prisons, mm-hmm. also commonly known as workhouses, were places where people were sent who couldn't pay off their who couldn't pay their taxes, their rent, or um, their debts. Um, individuals and families would live there, and they'd basically work off their debt by, um, do, like I said, doing manual labor, making things like potato sacks and baskets. Okay. Um, Workhouses became commonplace in the Victorian times um, as the social and political treatment of people living in poverty shifted away from giving like alms and charity of like donations of food, clothing, medicine, shelter, stuff like that. Um, And uh, society began to view poverty as... um, as something that sort of happened to you because of something you'd done. Um, so, like, if you were starving, it was because you failed to get work. Or mm-hmm. if you were homeless, it was because you, like, deserved to be homeless because you'd done something wrong. Right. The poor were considered, like, wretched and pitiful, but their, like, poorness was because of some like innate personal flaw or failing um, of, of like their own making. It wasn't a social issue. It was very much individual. So workhouses were created as a punishment and a deterrent for poverty. Mm-hmm. So they were supposed to like, they, they weren't like a refuge or like rehabilitation opportunity. They were um, like, if you're... You, don't don't let yourself get poor because then you'll have to go and live in a workhouse and they weren't very nice places they were overcrowded and oppressive and just just fucking miserable and crime and disease ran rampant the people there were they were inmates like being punished for a crime of being poor um they weren't they weren't allowed to leave until their debts were like repaid um and it's the that i read i read a thing um dickens obviously had his experience of his family going into um into a workhouse when he was a child and then as when he was older and he was like a sort of wealthy gentleman as a as a writer mm. um he went back and visited um a workhouse like to kind of go and sort of see how everybody there was doing um and he talks about how they're like the workhouses are basically just a a way station like between poverty and like dying from disease or like ending up at the hangman Mm -hmm. um babies were born there um they had like schools um there where children were educated um and but families were given like the bare minimum of food and shelter um and they were forced to live in like really overcrowded um like dirty unsanitary conditions and they were really and they were quite often mistreated by the people who the the staff there was some obviously because as with like these kind of situations there were people there who who cared 
Mm. Um, in his visit that he went to later in life, he talks about meeting a nurse who is just like in bits because a baby that she rescued from the street and had been bringing up in the um, workhouse had just died. Oh. Yeah. But obviously it was these experiences of workhouses that um, influenced Dickens' um, famous story, Oliver, and the, yes. the police uh, kind of have some more that mm -hmm. comes from a workhouse. They've got a quote here that is from um, that is from an article that Dickens wrote in. He he had like a sort of a a news publication journal that um, he made called Household Words. Yes, um, and this is how he in, in describing a, his visit to a worse workhouse. He was really really against them. He was a, a in he was an advocate of social reform um and uh yeah this is this is how he describes the sort of the treatment and the fact that that sort of workhouses were created he said we have come to this absurd this dangerous this monstrous pass that the dishonest felon in respect of cleanliness order diet and accommodation um, is better provided for and taken care of than the honest poor, mm. which is basically saying that um, that you know people in, pri in in prisons for committing actual crimes were sort of in a better situation and better yeah. cared for than uh, poor people in workhouses. Uh, so what does this have to do with disability? I hear you cry. <laughs> what does this have to do with disability, Alice? <laughs> the Victorian poor laws aimed to address the social fear that relief was being misused by people who were fraudulently disabled. Victorians believed that there were two kinds of poor, the deserving and the undeserving. Those who could not help their poverty and so deserved charity and those who were too lazy to work and basically scrounged off the state mm -hmm. by pretending to be more disabled and unable to work. The kind of people that you see in Tesco's that like forget which leg they're hobbling on as they are <laughs> leaving. I'm, I mean, f from my experience of working within the benefit system, I suspect that the number of people who are trying yes. to get very, benefits very but small. can't, yeah, is, yeah. It, versus the people who who are getting benefits when they shouldn't. It's yeah, yeah. So yeah, Dickens really despised the workhouses mm -hmm. and that kind of process. Um, mm. He believed in social reform. He believed that the poor should be kind of helped and supported to survive. Mm. Um, and he explored how people's personal circumstances, lives, and most importantly, um, for this episode, their health <laughs> was impacted by poverty and um, the treatment of the poor. Something that Dickens was very conscious of was the way that poverty could impact on health. Um, he actually was one of the first major donors for Great Ormond Street Hospital. Really? Um, wow. Be yeah, because he wanted to um, he wanted to make sure that children living in poverty got, you Health. know, medical care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and obviously in a post-industrial age, uh, this sort of idea that disabled people can't work because of the kind of, you know, the the Daisy's talked about it before. It's, it's I was going to say, yeah, she said that like it was Victorian age and the industrialism of everything mm-hmm. that made people go, okay, well, you know, your worth is against your productivity, um, which yeah. is something I hadn't considered really until she pointed it out. It was one of the first things she, she talked to us about, isn't it, really? Yep. Um, See, so Daisy, we I... do listen. <laughs> and it's actually, like, it's quite a progressive view for Dickens as well. Yeah. Like, Daisy's talking to us about this, you know, 200 years after it happened. Yeah. And, like, the fact that Dickens was going, hold on a minute, this is happening at the time, yeah. is quite sort of astute. Yes. What I've, I've written in my notes say, he's actually recognising the barriers that society is putting in front of disabled people rather than recognize sort of seeing it as disabled people being the problem yeah he's quite he's conscious that actually disabled people were finding it hard to get work yeah and, and what, were being disabled by the work that they were doing yeah and what he's doing in my eyes is he's he is trying to do what he can you know he's play his little part to alleviate that situation so donating to great Holman street hospital and to some extent mm-hmm. highlighting it in the stories he's telling to make yeah. people aware of this is what's happening under your nose you know yeah. that kind of and i would say that's an advocate for like yeah. you say social reform disability he's an ally yeah. isn't he really yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because obviously we're going to go on to talk a little bit about um, the Muppets. Um, but, <laughs> she but, <won't> um, <laughs> but um he he he's written a lot of disabled characters because mm. disability and poor health was Interlinked. very present in the Victorian times. Like yeah. because, you know, the world that they were living in, people got fucking sick. People got like hurt. People were, you know, if you weren't born safely in in hospital if your mum wasn't well while you you, like those children were were out there um and yeah it's um so he he wrote quite a lot of disabled characters Mm. um and one of the things that he does is he puts them in sort of places of like poverty and deprivation and if not like actual sort of environmental circumstantial poverty and like in places of emotional distress and sort of hardship. Mm-hmm. Obviously, what most of us picture when we talk about disabled characters in Dickens, it's like poor, pitiable, crippled, like Tiny Tim. Yes. But actually, uh, I I would like to tell you a little bit about some of the other um, characters that, um, that Dickens has written about that I think are actually... A slightly more positive uh, representations of disability mm. and ways that um, Dickens sort of challenged some of the or sort of highlighted the the social the the, the social issue of disability. Uh, so yeah, so in this episode, I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. I'm going to say that I don't think Dickens' rep- uh, sort of depiction of disability was all that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, like, don't get me wrong, he definitely used disability as a narrative device to punish some of his characters. 
um and also used kind of physical difference as a marker of like evil or deviance um as well as kind of presenting disabled people as as helpless yes um but i think what i would say is like that that's what everybody was doing that's what yeah. all victorian authors were doing i was about to and say I... it's like the time the, the time period of well everybody's doing it you know it's, they're not they're not as socially aware i don't think yeah. as we are now like we wouldn't do it now you you know, wouldn't set up i don't think i think people are more aware know, there's of... definitely there's definitely people who still write those kind of stories yeah. but i just think i think we lampoon dickens as like the big bad villain in the disability avengers franchise <laughs> and like actually he's just doing what everybody else is doing yes and if you don't know any better you're not and and he's using it as a narrative to make people sit up and go oh okay or, yeah you know. and i think so what i'm going to tell you about is um a couple of characters who are actually much more positive well-rounded representations of disability that ones that aren't like aren't the 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 stereotypical sort of tiny tim or he must be a bad guy because he's got facial deformities and differences and stuff mm -hmm. so um yeah so um i'm gonna start by telling you about barnaby rudge who is the title character of Dickens' 1841 novel, Barnaby Rudge. <laughs> um, anybody who knows anything about Dickens will know that like, he comes up with the most ridiculous names for his characters. I They've think that's quite really a nice name, though. Names. Oh, Barnaby. I really like it. Barnaby Rudge, he sounds like, oh, he's a decent fella. Please tell yeah. me he's a decent fella and he's not... Some... Yeah, no, Barnaby's, Barnaby's, um, Barnaby's nice. Barnaby um, has... Uh, He's a he's a sort of yeah I, I want to say young man I think in his like twenties or thirties he's got a learning disability. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've just got a another note in my um in in my notes here that uh, I just I want to pinch Daisy's content warning from the uh, history lessons as well just to make people aware that there are. Um, I'm probably going to use some quotes and like references from Dickens books that uh, use words that um, were previously acceptable but are now considered extremely offensive. Um, can I also say you don't get that in the Muppets? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just to, you know, balance it out a bit. Uh, <laughs> um, so Barnaby, Barnaby has some kind of unidentified learning disability. Mm -hmm. um, like we don't get like his, you know, official diagnosis. Um, but the book and the book definitely uses like horrible terms like idiot to talk about him. Lovely. Um, but um, there are some really nice examples in the book as well where like Barnaby's shown to be quite like deep and um sort of the well-rounded like mm. he's shown to have facets um not necessarily through yeah in some ways sort of through his own depiction but also in the way that other characters talk about him um i 
fucked up and completely forgot to find the quote. But there is a, a bit quite early on in the book where his mum says something like, I know that he's not like smart, but he's my son and he's loving and he looks after me. Yeah. Um, and just sort of, you know, shows that he's more than just this disabled character. Um, you know, to to the other characters in the book. He's a bit more fleshed um, out and rounded than yeah, other people. Yeah, there's a there's a bit where um his there's again, it's it's reasonably early on in the book, there's a um his mum's house has been invaded by like a highwayman. Right. Um and she's trying to get him to leave. And she she talks about even though Barnaby, her son, has got some like cognitive differences, um that this this highwayman wants to like hide in the wardrobe basically right. and like it's sort of continue to intimidate um barnaby's mum she's like my son might have a learning disability but he's really sort of he's he's not um ignorant he will he'll, yeah he'll he will notice yeah. that i'm in distress and he will recognize that you know that I am worried about something and that he would act in her defense if he thought that she was in danger. Yeah. The book also shows that Dickens had some uh, sort of recognition of the attitudes of society towards people with learning disabilities. So the thing, the thing about Dickens's writing is that he's a satir satirist. Yes. Um, his, he writes his characters are like caricatures they're really not all of them but some of them are really like over the top absurd comical like and and it's particularly their speech it's it's purposely written to highlight their the character's ridiculousness and quite yeah. often that ridiculousness is about like these super rich people um <clears throat> feeling as though they can manipulate and pander the character to... that comes into my mind when you're talking about that kind of depiction of the, his characters is i can't remember what his name is but the bloke in the poorhouse in oliver twist where he goes please circle out was it mr bumble i think where oliver, sure when oliver says please sir can have some more and he goes more yeah. that man. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it is it is all a bit like of, that yeah there's a in Barnaby Rudge, there's this guy who becomes, uh, he goes on to be an MP um, or a Lord or something. But before he gets made a Lord, he has this interaction with a locksmith's wife and she's in her fifties. And like the way she's described is sort of, she's not particularly young and beautiful and attractive. And he does this thing where he, when he meets her for the first time, her like stunningly beautiful 19 year old daughter is there also. And he says, Oh, this must be your sister. You're so alike in a like overly yeah. flattering of the mother way. And it's, it's that sort of stuff of a, uh, if that happened in real life, you would just laugh in the person's face. Yeah. But yeah, he uses these really exactly like you said, that it's really like over the top language to really pe like poke fun. For, yeah. 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 Um, and look, it's, uh, it's almost like, like look at him isn't he ridiculous kind of thing exactly. yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah and the people he does it for are usually like the well-off folk yeah it's mm. it's he's taking the piss out of like victorian social sort of high society yeah 
and it's like i i haven't read a lot of dickens but it was really hard to get into dickens until i kind of realized that that you have to take what's being said with a pinch of salt because it is basically taking the piss yes um and He's that being makes extremely it... sarcastic yeah, yeah yeah he really is um like the characters are really like they're almost like cartoonish yes in their like pretentiousness mm. um and if you don't realize that it can be really hard to be like oh god more of this <laughs> uh, and again more of this <laughs> yeah i i described it in my notes here i was like it's in, in puppet theme, I said it's a little bit like the spitting image puppet. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Over the top. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a piss take. Yes. Anyway, so back to Barnaby. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm in another another little diversion before we get back to Barnaby. In in the book, mm-hmm. there's a whole the the beginning of the book introduces is. There's like an introduction that is apparently written by the author where he talks about how he's got this pet raven who can speak like a parrot. Charles Dickens. Which, yeah. Right. I I don't think that's a thing. No. Not something I've ever heard of. Does he think he's like Uh, some sort of gothic? (laughs) I think that's the thing. I think it's like, I said this to my mum, I was like, so, because Barnaby has this pet raven that right. has like this handful of phrases that it it says, and right. like Barnaby's trained it and stuff to say these different phrases. Yeah. Um, and I was like, but I don't think ravens can do that. So why not just write that he's got a parrot? Okay. Well, I but my I, mom... I can tell you that I went when I was about ten, mm. nine or ten. I went to the Tower of London for the first time. And there was an Australian beef eater there, right? And he mm-hmm. said to me, because I can't get into like the towers and stuff because it's not accessible. So I was stood there waiting for my sister. And this Australian beef eater said to me, that parrot can talk. That that, par- that parrot, that raven can talk. Right. And I went, can it? And it went, he said, yeah. Because um, they were very intelligent, apparently, ravens. I didn't know this, but apparently they are. And this parrot, this <laughs> raven... Started to talk in a really? yeah in an Australian accent. <laughs> the Australian beef eater had taught the raven to speak and also <laughs> swear <laughs> at, at uh, tourists in an so Australian. One of, one of the phrases that um, that Barnaby's pet raven says is something like off. Oh, to the devil with you or something like that right okay um which would have been a bit of a an insult in the victorian times um but he also does the beginning of that um polly put the kettle on song as well polly put the kettle on we'll all have tea that one yeah 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 he does a bit more tuneful yeah he's constantly going we'll all have tea like a parody sort of raven apparently sounds like my mom <laughs> anybody want a cup of tea yeah um, so okay well there you go i i was so they, they I can was this. because they're very intelligent apparently and they can no, i can believe they're intelligent i i just didn't realize that at all yeah i didn't um, either until the australian okay. beef eater i didn't even know you could be australian be a beef eater it's a conversation for another day there you go i suspect it's a commonwealth thing isn't Probably, it yeah 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 
but um anyway anyway uh so yeah barnaby's got this pet raven called grip um who speaks and there's this one time where barnaby and his mum are visiting london mm-hmm. and um just to just to go back and remind you of the point I'm making, because it's been such a long time. The point that I was making was that um, Dickens had a bit of a awareness of like social attitudes towards um, people with learning disabilities and people and disabled people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's he's they meet this fella while they're in London, just a random guy. And he sees Barnaby's talking raven and he's so impressed uh, with this raven that he wants to buy him from barnaby and barnaby's like no this is my my pet um and he's really like basically essentially yeah Yeah. he's you know he's like no this is i've he's got a relationship with the bird and and he trained it and he's not selling it but the guy gets really like angry and unnecessarily aggressive about it yeah um and his reaction is that he starts questioning like the authenticity of barnaby's disability mm-hmm. um he says that um that he's his his sort of cognitive difference is it's only excuse for be his, it's only an excuse for laziness my god like the themes you're talking about it's like i know today and well this is the thing is it's so interesting isn't um, it says, just he says that he says all all that all that is needed to cure Barnaby of his uh, learning disability is a good beating, oh, because God. then he won't be so lazy anymore. Okay. And I, I just that, think I know that person's not real, but my God. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that like, and and I I just think it's I think it's really, I think it's a bit incredible that yeah. Dickens like 1841 this yeah. came out that he's got he's able to recognize that that's the attitude of some people in like the victorian times mm. and it's particularly reflective of that um like deserving of charity um yeah. thing that i talked about earlier that like yeah. you're not really disabled so you don't deserve help that's why yeah. you get punished and go to the workhouse and i think as well what it does is it just shows you how entrenched these beliefs are in mm-hmm. society you know we we do this fabled series to show you this is where this comes from and this is how entrenched it is it just this goes to show just how deep societal attitudes are towards people with mm. disabilities and learning difficulties and things like that it's, it's um it's quite amazing isn't it yeah i think it was it was really um I, I thought that bit of the book was really, really interesting. Mm. Um, so Dickens challenged other ideas about disability um, with a character in another one of his books, which is a more well-known one, Bleak House. Yeah. There was a BBC adaptation a couple of years ago that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Esther, who is one of the main characters in Bleak House, um, she's actually... Um, Bleak House is narrated by three different uh, people or sort of it's got three different narrators yeah. um and she's one of them she's got um facial scarring after contracting smallpox okay so i think there's a couple of really interesting interesting things about esther i think one of the things that's really cool to start with is that like 
Dickens writes her as one of the narrators. So, like, the first thing he's doing is just giving her, giving a disabled woman a, a voice. voice. Yeah. Like, putting her in a position of power by being like, I am the storyteller. Listen to me now. Exactly. And Everybody I think else that pipe that... down, listen to me. That kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that was 200 years ago. Yeah. Um. So... It's she. She this. She tells the story sort of retrospectively. Mm-hmm. So although you don't learn about her facial, in so at the, at the beginning of her story that she's telling, she she starts her story before she gets smallpox. Right. So it's not until about halfway through the book mm-hmm. that you realise that she's Jeez. got smallpox and she's got. Um, facial difference now but again isn't that isn't that progressive because it's telling her story without the disability being the main focus yeah exactly and that that's one of the things that like from it it gives you the opportunity to get to know her character before going oh and she's disabled but because she's telling it retrospectively like she's once you read it, you realise she's always disabled when she's telling you the story. Yeah. It's not like, although in the story she becomes disabled, she's, she's as, telling as the person telling it, she's already disabled. Exactly. Um, and it, yeah, you, you get to know her. She's, she's an astute and sort of considerate, conscientious person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's, she is more than just this disabled person and one of the things that that esther does that i think is i love she's one of the characters who notices that you know what we were talking about the like caricature absurd language she notices other people doing that and is like sort of almost makes fun of it she's like intelligent and witty yeah and like she pokes fun at other characters who do it she sounds like our kind of girl doesn't she really yeah i like like she she would be the third (laughs) the the third (laughs) permanent co-host of the labeled podcast if she was yes real and alive today yeah um so (laughs) there i've got uh i've got a bit of a quote about um where she um where one of these times where she like kind of takes the piss and 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 pokes fun at her um at, at people and their language so mm. um there's a lot going on in bleak house but one of the stories um around esther is that there are she's she's got like three i don't want to say love interests there are like three she's got three of them <laughs> potential husbands blimey uh, but she doesn't she doesn't want she doesn't want two of them so one of them is is like the a sort of uh esther's an orphan and so she gets taken in by this this elderly gentleman who's like you know i i'll I'll marry you and she's like you're like a hundred um and she's no she's not she's not interested um (laughs) but it's not a there's another character like she's not interested in the elderly man and no. it's just it's it's not but it's it's not a like oh he's horrible there is a there is a caricature type character um this man who's, na- who's named mr guppy 
Okay. Like the fish? Yeah. <laughs> you just know that he looks like a guppy, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he um, he's proposed to her. She doesn't really want to marry him, but at the time, the person she wants to marry has had to go off somewhere and she doesn't think she's ever going to see him again. Right. And because she's an orphan and she's illegitimate, she's got, like, no prospects. So mm-hmm. essentially, she's like... I might have to marry this man because it's might the have only to marry sort of... fish man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then after she gets smallpox and he realizes that she's got these scars, Guppy's like, "Oh, actually, um, not sure about about yeah. this whole getting married thing." Uh, taxis um, outside. I'm old. <laughs> But um, but the interaction where he comes to see Esther to like rescind his proposal is a is um, it's a really good example of that like language that we were talking about and how he mm. pokes fun at social attitudes, but also like a really good example of Esther being in a being intelligent enough to kind of see through it, um, whereas some of the other characters don't in some of his other books. Do you know who um, she reminds me of a little bit? Where you're okay. talking about how, like, she's sort of, like, taking the... She's, like, she recognises he's a bit mm. of a wally. Uh, Frida Kahlo. When you read about Frida Kahlo and her husband, when it all went a bit sour, there's some, yeah. quotes, some quotes about, oh, like, she, she's written a letter to him after they, like, had a row or something. And she says, I wish you'd just, like, bog off, go away and stop leaping around my garden like a... Like a twat, basically. Like she, she just says, "Like just piss off, you do me a Basically, she reminds me of um of this character, really. Yeah, that kind of I've um, had enough of you. Like she doesn't suffer fools, is what I'm getting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and that is, I think that's Esther. I think she's very, like, she's definitely sort of the the Victorian lady with it. So she's yeah. not like piss off out my garden, <laughs> but. <laughs> I feel she's like a bit I more ladylike <laughs> yeah um but she's definitely like aware of this guy's absurdity so i've got a quote for you this is um when he comes to see her for the first time after she's got her scars and when he's like like i'm sorry i can't marry you right um, okay so this is her description of what he said to her <laughs> okay He was charmed to see me, said that he had been shedding delicious tears of joy and sympathy at intervals for six weeks on my account. Uh, He began to understand the mixture of good and evil in the world now, felt that he appreciated health the more when somebody else was ill. Oh, didn't okay, know right. <laughs> yet yeah didn't know what but might be in the scheme of things that uh if a should squint to uh make it happier to in in looking straight or that c should carry a wooden leg to make d more satisfied with his flesh and blood so basically he's made it like now that he's seen somebody else get poorly he's now like oh if i see someone like squinting because they can't see then like it makes me feel better about the fact that like 
I can see straight or like Shut up, guppy face, man. Just shut up, get out of my face. Just get out of my fucking face. What a rude man. It is the the quote is Get in the taxi and piss off. (laughs) That it's it's like now that um like since since learning that about Esther's illness and her acquired like disability, mm-hmm. he's become more appreciated. Uh, he's become like, more socially aware. His, uh, well, no, it's, it's made him more like appreciative of his own di- non-disabled like existence. It's like oh, the, um, it could like, it could be worth. Yeah. The, what's the there but by the grace of God, God go that on. phrase. Yeah, I fucking yeah, yeah. hate that phrase. It's like, oh, could be worse. You could be disabled. <laughs> could be worse. You could be like Lucy. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, no, we don't do that. But, we don't. We don't have that. <laughs> her description of that is so like tongue in cheek. I will. will put. I'll get the quote up I'll on our socials when this yeah, episode proper. comes out because it's so. It's a real like. That she's that that she's just like, oh. But and God, also this guy. again, going back to the point I was making, both me and you get that semi regularly. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 all the time. Hundred percent. Oh, it's um, so good. It's so good to see you out. It's so good mm-hmm. that you've got a job. You did so well there in that meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And you're blind. It's amazing. I know. I know. You know. Um, and you can't so, walk. Wow! Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I I think I I think that that is probably one of my favourite like things that not my favourite things that people say to you, but it's just that and you can't walk. Like you've done all this and you can't walk. Oh, you it's have like, got a job. You're not you available be, you at lunchtime on a Tuesday. Why? Because yeah. I work. Really? You wouldn't be impressed if a non-disabled person did all of this stuff. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Anyway, it's like a therapy session. (laughs) Anyway, um, so like one of the again, um, so after after like she doesn't have to marry Guppy anymore. No, um, Esther actually the book ends. Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) She 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 gets to marry the person that she she loved, the guy that she wanted to marry in the first place. Um, And he didn't mind about the scarring or anything like that. (laughs) So or this, did he? The, this is this is really interesting that yeah. I really like the book. So I I I haven't read it, but I've seen it. But the book, and I'm going to read it. I think the book ends with her husband mm. now married to her saying something to her like, "You don't realize how beautiful you are." Oh. To which she responds with this really. It's it's an ambiguous statement, and in the book, apparently, it's literally the book ends while she's in the middle of this sentence. Oh. Um, so, but it's, well, I'm there, Charlie. Did you just get bored? <laughs> no, I think he's making a point. So, what okay. he he says, you yeah. don't realise how beautiful you are, and she yeah. says that uh, they can very well do without much beauty in me, even supposing. And that, that's the end of the sentence. But I think what it's saying is basically she doesn't need the perspectives of other people to decide whether she's beautiful. Yeah. She's like, you know, you you might like they what what's the phrase? That um they can they can very well do without much beauty in me, 
it's 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 the you know they they can look at me and not see my beauty that's fine yes and and i just i just think that that like her husband is standing there going like i know that you've got these these facial differences but i i still think you're beautiful and she's just like (laughs) in the nicest way possible love i don't need you to think i'm beautiful like i don't need anybody and i you see whereas people would say to me just accept the compliment just go thank you very much but i i think the fact that 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 is how he finishes his book that it's just it's a that is dickens going who the fuck are we to be commenting on other people's disabilities and making decisions about their identity and what disability means to them and what their disabled body means to them Mm. when actually as far as esther's concerned she's she's married the man she loves and you know as someone who is married to the man that she loves like it's great if my husband thinks i'm beautiful but it means more to me that confidence means more to me if i think that i'm beautiful yeah and it's just i think it's a i think i think it's a really cool representation that he's got this like powerful vocal woman who's kind of she's got quiet confidence about her i really i really like esther i really like Um, her actually she 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 reminds me a lot of myself a lot of you alice you know like i think we uh, i was gonna say she's she's what i want to be yeah 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 yeah. do you know what i mean Um, it's like i think she would fit in very well if we were down the pub with her Yeah. yeah um so i mean these there are there are obviously lots of that there are dickens wrote a lot of disabled characters and i'm my plan my challenge for the next uh 12 months 2023 is i am going to try and read a bunch of dickens to get some more sort of idea of his disabled characters that's what my i think i'm going to start with actually reading bleak house as, Mm -hmm. as i've never read it um and I think that there's no denying that Dickens is like disabled characters really run the gamut of um, of what disability kind of how disability can be represented. Like mm-hmm. definitely um, there's definitely like some some really awful characters in his books who are, are it is that classic like, oh, he looks like a monster, so he must be a monster. Yeah. Um, stuff but yeah I just think it's really interesting that the thing that we always think of is Dickens for Dickens is Tiny Tim and actually there's a lot more to it yes there yeah. is and I think I think I think from what you've told me there Alice Dickens I think has been misunderstood and because I think most people when they think of Dickens and then they think of disabled characters immediately tiny tim is the one that comes to mind i mean it's almost like he is our mascot during this festive period everybody thinks of a disabled person at christmas and it's tiny tim coughing and spluttering over the turkey kind of thing and then pegs it um so i think (laughs) spoiler alert yeah spoiler (laughs) if you you haven't haven't seen the muppets um or dulcie um (laughs) but yeah it's um yeah, I think I think he's a bit misunderstood, and I think that's people jumping down the throat of Dickens, going, "Well, you know, it's not that's not politically correct." A, it was a time of 
socially that was what mm. he was around and b read a bit more dickens because you can't really judge somebody on one character can you mm. no, i think it's yeah i think it's really interesting yeah um, but i do think that i mean so i read an interesting as part of the research for this tom shakespeare's written a piece in uh for bbc out that i think was called like sticking up for dickens mm. um i love tom shakespeare where, stuff by the way yeah where he sort of basically says like tiny tim is is awful but we have dickens and a christmas carol to kind of thank for christmas as we know it now oh yeah um and that in, that it, you can't it, on the one hand you can sit there and lampoon him for um i feel like i'm misusing that phrase and it's the second time i've said it in this episode but i'm gonna roll with it um lampooning dickens um but that also you know the the turkey and the tree with the lights and the family yeah, gathering I mean, together quintessential and stuff christmas isn't it really the turkey exactly. family kind of being kind to one another and enjoying yourself is is what christmas should be all about the thing that i got from this is where i'm going to try and shoehorn some uh, pu puppets into this whole equation which sounds ridiculous i am aware it sounds ridiculous bear with me listeners um <laughs> i've been worried about this from the get-go uh yeah what if i got this was your idea we didn't have to do this <laughs> It's my own fault. Yeah, the thing I, the, the, the theme that I got from A Muppet's Christmas Carol is that obviously it's a lot softer than your original story of A Christmas Carol. And it's softer because it's the whole, it's, the, the complete cast of the Muppets is shoehorned. And then it's for children. And, and it is for children. Uh, but it is a classic. But And the thing that you get from it, the, the, you know, and this is what my mom said when she was watching it with me yesterday is if everybody could just be kind you know it's, it's fostering that kindness towards one another that's what you get from uh, the muppets christmas carol because it's aimed at children sesame street is all about you know being kind recognizing differences recognizing struggles of other people so it stands to reason that the muppets when they're involved in a christmas carol is a bit softer and a bit just be kind, basically. That's what we got from it. The fact that Michael Caine is is the best Scrooge going. I'll be taking no further. We had a, a conversation off air about um, Michael Caine being the best Scrooge going, and i I did not um, I did not challenge Lucy's assertion, but she got a little bit belligerent and was <laughs> like, "He deserves an Oscar." And then I realised um, he's won quite a few. It's got about eight. So. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, my granddad watched it with us as well, and he said Michael Caine is prolific because he will do anything. He will star in anything with anybody. So you can imagine the conversation in 1992, just after Jim Henson has passed away. It's the, fir it's the first film after Jim Henson has died. And they've gone, right, we we we're going to make a Muppets movie. Okay, what do you want to do? We'll do a Christmas Carol. Yeah, okay. Who's going to play Scrooge? Is Michael Caine available? <laughs> they rung his agent. Yeah, he'll do it. <laughs> like, name your price. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Especially uh, for like stuff that you, I, I imagine, because it's, it's different from um i don't know 
whether they used puppets in the the Jason Siegel movie that came out probably ten years ago now, yeah, or if it's all CGI. No, they but did obviously they in puppets. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I was gonna say in '92 it would have been full on puppets, full on puppets, like, and it like and there's not just one or two of the Muppets. It's like the complete cast of the Muppets. Everybody. Like you can... You can bet that uh, Michael Caine had such a good time. Oh, I can like, imagine. how much fun would that have been? <laughs> I would have. It would be the best day of my life. It would be the best job <laughs> of my life. Um, but what I particularly liked is... Um, so, like, when the ghost of Christmas, the first one, passed, yes? Yes. Passed, goes to see him. He takes him, like, when he was a child to the, to the school and stuff. His head teacher is... Uh, Sam the Eagle, because why not? Um, <laughs> and he's like, it's the American way. And, and Charles Dickens, played by Gonzo, again, why not? Um, goes over to him, whispers in his ear, and he goes, sorry, I meant it is the British way. <laughs> like, um, it's the kind of little jokes like that I love. But um, So yeah, he goes to when he was at school, and then, then he takes him to his first job, where he worked for <laughs> Mr. Fozzywig played by a fuzzy bear and the company he worked for made rubber chickens <laughs> i'm sure that's very accurate to the dickens original <laughs> yes of course everybody needs a rubber chicken um and the the, the band in the christmas party is animals band in the, the yeah. christmas party so it's you know it's uh they try and shoehorn as many characters even if you yeah. just get a brief glimpse of people it's like oh there's you know, Ralph the dog, or yeah. playing the piano. Um, but yeah, so it's it's uh, it was quite. I can imagine that it would have been a great. Um, mm. And I think they threw everything at it because it was the first film since Jim Henson died. You know, so they wanted to try and make a statement of it's all right. The Muppets are still here. We're going to carry yeah. on his legacy. Um, but no, I love it. It's a, it's a Christmas classic, really. Christmas isn't Christmas until I've watched a Muppets Christmas Carol. I told you what my my tra- Christmas my non traditional Christmas film is. Singing in the Rain, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched Every... that a few weeks ago. It's brilliant. I love it. It's one of my top favorite films in the whole world. Mm. I love it. We went to see it at the West End, me and my mum. And I've got. Did you get wet? Uh, I bought. No, <laughs> I wasn't sitting that close. Um, but I got a program from it, and I've got like some of the the pictures in the program framed up. It was. I love a chorus anyway. I yeah. love like there. I think there's nothing cooler than like fifteen people who have worked their asses off to be able to dance in complete like synchronicity and sing amazing. at the same time as well without yeah. missing yeah. a breath or a beat or like wow. No, the other day I was trying to have a conversation with somebody and scratch my nose at the same time. I poked myself <laughs> in the fucking eye. <laughs> I mean, like how how are you how you're dancing, swinging an umbrella around? <laughs> it's like um, you watch Strictly Come Dancing, mm. and I always get the pang of I wish I could do that because even if I could walk and move my legs like a regular person, uh, I have no sense of, of rhythm whatsoever. So I would be terrible. But even just looking at them, going, oh, I want to do that. It's quite like oh. Um, I do feel like it's just a matter of time before we get a disabled uh, wheelchair-using um, dancer. Do you think? So. I hope so. I, mean, I don't know how it would absolute... work, though. But I, I don't mean, know. I don't know. I mean, it would be great 
don't get me wrong, it would be great, but it, I just don't, I don't know how it would work. I mean, that's not our job to make no. it work. That's the BBC's job to make it work. But no. I, I, I reckon they're obviously trying to make an effort to improve the diversity of their representations yeah. in of dancers. And I think that it is just a matter of time before they can kind of find a way of making that work. Um, I would love to get Eddie Simmons on the podcast, though. If anybody knows of anybody, <laughs> give us a shout, will you? Anyway, back to the Muppets. Um, Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. So I don't actually know the name of the Muppet character that plays Tiny Tim. It's just a small version of Kermit. I'm it's just a small Kermit, isn't it? It's I didn't realise he had a name. Uh, and actually, the thing that made me laugh was when I tried to do a bit of additional research into the Muppets Christmas Carol, the f and I put the name, like the character of Tiny Tim. The first reference that came up was a blog post by our very own Daisy Holder. I was like, brilliant. Just Daisy, want to do this? <laughs> I just, just shall I just have a week off? Um, so yeah, so um, it's played by a very small Kermit, who basically <laughs> he the first thing you see is like he uh, Kermit's carrying him on his shoulder up the hill because he's been to church, and Miss Piggy says to Kermit, "How did you get on at church?" And he says he was as good as gold. He thought that being at church might help other people so that they can remember him over Christmas time. This is the first instance you see of Tiny Tim coughing and spluttering. He then sees the turkey, gets overexcited and sort of get, ties himself out. And it's like, <coughs> like this. Um, you know, if I'm the just thinking what thinking the about how our uh, transcriptionist is going to describe that noise you just made. <laughs> Sorry, Carly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so he coughs, he coughs and splutters, and then Miss Piggy says, go, go and sit down, basically. Just chill out a bit. Um, and then um, Michael Caine says, does he, does he die? Does he die? Like this. And they don't actually say, yes, he does, but you kind of know that the next time you see it, because the ghost of Christmas yet to come shows him tiny tim and there is no tiny tim at the table um Aww. kermit says something to stop everybody from getting upset and crying that made me go oh don't, don't make me cry um he says something like um you have to remember that life is a series of meetings and goodbyes and it all it, it basically all works out in the end by this point oh. i've I got me right at the. I know. Head I know. On, on my arms stood up. I got me right in the feelings. Uh, yeah, that's it. It does it every time. And but also, I've been crying for about an hour and a half because the songs <laughs> just get you. <laughs> they get. I was crying at the 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 first song where they're singing about how horrible Scrooge is. I'm like, but it's not though, is he? Like, calm <laughs> down. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, but the the the. I think it's just. A nice soft version of a Christmas Carol to get into, and then I've I, there because I love a, a Muppets Christmas Carol. I have watched nearly every version that has crossed my path since. <laughs> but I'm like, yes, now's good. Not got Kurt the Frog in. Where's Kurt? Where's Kermit? Is he available? <laughs> Um, my my preference is I I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Miss Piggy because she's just kind of loud and shrill, and that, bit that like really me. resonates. <laughs> <laughs> really. No. Who is your favourite Muppet? Miss Piggy? Yeah, I think so. 
I am. Um... I also really like pigs, like as an animal. They're definitely up there in my like sort of top five animals. Yeah, not, are they? Not ravens. Not, you not see, when ravens, people say to me, "If you could be an animal, what would you be?" I always say a parrot because I could keep my I could keep my bright coloured hair, and I can still talk. <laughs> And I can fly. I suppose that's one way of looking at it. I, I've, I've always opted for cat because I've had cats and all they do is sleep, get told they're beautiful and eat. Yeah. That sounds so, like my so, idea of heaven. That's Thank a you good very much. One, occasionally, occasionally somebody brushes you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So. How have we got onto this conversation? I don't know. <laughs> so, yes, I felt thoroughly festive. Um, if you haven't seen a Muppet's Christmas Carol, what are you doing? Uh, I say, you must have been living under a rock for I, the past 15 years. It's great. What did you say? 92. 92, That yeah. film's 30, 30 years, years old. Uh, they are also, I don't know whether this is going to be an annual thing, but this year, I'm not doing it, but I, I did consider it for at least a good day and a half. Uh, they're doing a live orchestra version of a Muppet's Christmas Carol, and they scream, so they screen the movie whilst an orchestra plays the soundtrack. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think we should, if they do it next year, I think we should go. Yeah, that and we can good. We can either fun. boo or cheer when Tiny Tim appears. <laughs> Depending on our mood. We'll, we'll boo Tiny Tim and we'll cheer Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, Michael Caine! <laughs> yes! I mean, I just like Michael Caine anyway, to be fair. He's a very, he seems like a very, he'd be one of my dinner party guests, I think. Him and not... Samuel Johnson. Yes. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so, yes. Okay. A Muppet's Christmas Carol. Did you want to talk um, a bit about a Christmas Carol? Or... I haven't read it, so I can't. Oh, okay. Have you got anything uh, in your perhaps... notes? No, oh. no. Perhaps we can uh, schedule some bonus content next Christmas about <laughs> the actual Christmas Carol. Yeah, it's too late um, now, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you can fuck right off. I'm not doing that now. <laughs> okay. No, but I do. Going back to the serious point, I do think that Charles Dickens is not as bad as everybody thinks he is. I'm a. I'm in agreement with you there. Well, and I'm, I might completely eat my words as I read, um, there was a, I found a fabulous website. Um, I will put all the links for the sources and stuff that I, I used for my notes. Um, but I found a fabulous website that basically lists Dickens books that have got disabled characters. as like, not just like a passing person, but like yeah, a, a more fleshed out character. Um, and I think I, I, I shall work through that list. Um, and perhaps do something on socials or on in our bonus um, as I get through the books. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I may completely eat my words after reading some of those and be like, I'll come back this time next year and be like, I was fucking wrong. Dickens is an arsehole. Um, <laughs> was there any evidence, Alice, to sort of suggest anywhere that you've seen that what Dickens wrote about actually made a difference societally or whether it was just like oh that's a nice story put it on the bookshelf um i mean my only evidence that i would pull out would be looking outside and going outside and be like yeah no it's the same <laughs> they might not put us in workhouses anymore but no. definitely they would like to yeah. i think <laughs> i saw a um tiktok 
was it a TikTok or Instagram video a couple of weeks ago? Somebody talking about the fact that there is an 18 percent pay gap between non-disabled and disabled people, yeah. and the comments on it were basically, "Well, of course, there's a you know, disabled people get paid less than non-disabled people. They do easier jobs." Oh, okay. No. No. no, that's with that's respect. Not what... No. <laughs> That's not what this. That's not what that statistic is a reflection of. No, like <sighs> that's just ignorance for ignorance' sake, isn't it? But that's just the way lots of people in society still see disabled people: is mm. that we're lazy, and that's why we don't work, or why we do easy jobs. You know, that's why disabled people are more likely to live in poverty. Yeah, and it's that is not the case, is it? Really, I both. Me and you know other people that have disabilities who we we all work hard. We've, we've got our rights part time, but we work hard in everything we do. That and I, again, I think that is interlinked with disabled people having to prove themselves and you know working harder than non-disabled counterparts. Yeah, and and the reflection that there are less disabled people in work than non-disabled people is because of the inaccessibility of employment mm -hmm. it's not because we don't want to work it's not because we're like oh i'll just claim benefits because yeah. even getting benefits is a difficult process and like even before the cost of living crisis like benefits were not huge amounts of money no. you know you but um, this is not a very positive and festive no, conversation. Sorry, 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 sorry. It's taking you a turn. my bells. <laughs> it's taking. <laughs> you should be shoving panettone down your face. Um, it's taking a bit of a turn. Should we lighten the mood a little bit? Um, yeah. Do you want to sing one of the songs out of the Muppets? No, I don't want to sing. I knew you were going to say <laughs> that. I knew, I was trying to sing along, but I only did like the bit like one line of each song because i spend too much time cry I, it makes me cry so no is the answer to that question I, but I, what i will do in the show notes is i will link um where you can download the soundtrack because it is available you can you can mum she knows it. that she knows i was gonna say she knows that because she's done that and yeah. that's what lucy's got repeat between now and christmas day <laughs> but yeah exactly well I think on that, we should wish our listeners a Merry Christmas. We should, shouldn't we, I think. Oh, um, that's weird. I think that, that's that's made me feel all sort of... Tingly. Festive. Yeah. <laughs> like you've swallowed a bit of a holly. Um, yeah. I cannot quite believe this is our second Christmas episode. It's That, to me, feels bizarre i like i knew we would get here but i'd like now we're here it's like oh it's our second christmas. yeah yeah um, no it's um it is a bit incredible yeah that we're here and that it's nearly 2023 and we're about to turn two it's crazy um so as part of your merry christmas message i'd just like to say to everybody listening thank you so much for listening we are often flabbergasted at how well episodes do um we i'm still flabbergasted that people choose to listen um thank you because i have such a great time making this show with alice on the days where i feel a bit 
fed up and sad. Mom often says to me, "Go, go and go and go and do something with Alice." So because it always cheers me up. <laughs> so Alice, I want you to say thank you for putting up with my crying at moments where you think, "What's she? What's she crying for now?" Um, and thank you for still doing this with me. It's one of the greatest things I've ever done. I say it all the time, but it's true. No, I I agree, Lucy. This is it is it's so fun and it's so much hard work but <laughs> it's also like it is it's the it's the best thing i've ever done and um we couldn't do it without our listeners like no. otherwise we'd just be talking into the void <laughs> and we couldn't do it without our wonderful team our transcriptionist um our editor um the you know, wonderful people who have supported us with all the social media stuff. Yeah. Um, and and Daisy, I couldn't. Yeah, and Daisy, and and I couldn't do it without you, Lucy. Like it would just be me sitting on my own in a room with talking to my dogs. So I mean, nobody some, wants to hear that. Sometimes that you might get better sense out of the dog, to be honest. <laughs> but you know, uh, no, it's, no, it's... you you don't know my dogs very well. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um... I'm so glad that I think two years in, I can safely say we're we're here to stay now. Hopefully, that word. <laughs> oh, um, our next episode is going to be our Richard the Third episode that I'm really excited I'm about. So it's excited. our first on location recording. Um, we recorded in front of one of our wonderful listeners, Molly, um, and yeah hopefully more of those in the future um if you guys enjoyed this episode if you enjoy the richard the third episode please tell your friends leave us a review on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts because it really helps other people find us and um the more people who find us the less i will bother you about leaving <laughs> reviews and telling people about us and yeah here's to another another year Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media at Labeled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden. And we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved. 